0: Hello again. So as stupid and as misguided and as poorly executed as this particular search uh, appears to be, I don't think for most of us our, own, our search for our heavenly father is any more coherent. Uh, so the film starts with the concept of he doesn't even know who his father is, and I think that's certainly true in the spiritual sense for many of us. The world is full of spiritually fatherless men most not even aware that they are fatherless. Then their search continues, looking for a father who bears some kind of resemblance to what they think their father might look like. And I guess this too is a familiar pattern as we look for our spiritual father who conforms to that image of the father that we're familiar with. And with that particular search criteria, we'll, we'll miss somewhere between a bit and a lot of who God really is. And then one of the final comments in the film, or the the film trailer, um, Owen Wilson says, the universe has a tendency to point you in the right direction. And of course, we know that to be true. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. This weekend is a journey of finding our spiritual father and allowing him to father us. And our journey starts here in the first destination of understanding our position in that relationship. We are his sons. But more than that, We are his beloved sons. We see this description of Jesus um, uh, at his baptism as uh, the Father from heaven calls out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But a little bit later in the scriptures in Ephesians, we also see Paul describing it of all of us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice for God. This is a word we don't often use, beloved. It literally means you were loved, you are loved, and you will continue to be loved. Also translated as dear or precious, much loved, or favorite. Wow, favorite. Imagine how it would feel to be God's favorite son. So why is being the beloved son the first destination on this journey? Because on the start of such a journey as this, you need to start from a position of safety and security. And only by understanding that you are the beloved son will give us just this a safe and secure position to launch the rest of this adventure. When I look back on my childhood, I see this destination of beloved son as an idyllic phase in my life. that gave me the perfect opportunity to learn what it means to be a beloved son. I grew up on a farm in Somerset. I was the first child in my generation in which was a quite a large extended Christian family. So I knew what it was to be loved from many different places. But from a very early age, the place I loved to be was out on the farm with my dad. I also lived with some of the scars from that time, such as the concept of a casual walk doesn't exist for me. I learned to walk following my dad around the farm, and he didn't slacken the pace for me with me in tow, so my legs was only half the size of his. I learned to walk very quickly and have never quite lost the habit. I think if FitBits had been invented when I was four years old, I'd have broken world step records. (laughs) Ours ours was a livestock farm, and um, mainly at that time beef cattle, and I loved working with the animals. I have absolutely vivid memories of probably five or six years old moving cattles into sheds, very similar to the shed that we're in now, and then a weighing machine being set up in the yard outside, um, with gates to guide the cattle towards it. And I'd be standing by the weighing machine with a notepad and pen in hand, noting down, reading the uh, tags in the, in the cattle's ears as they came through the weighing machine and uh, noting down their weights um, in my little uh, notebook. And then my dad, my grandfather, his uncle and cousins would, uh, who'd be around at the time would all refer to me as little man or just man. And my heart filled with pride to be part of that team. And after a few years of watching from behind gates and fences, I also learned how to handle the cattle myself and would routinely help with uh, rounding up the cattle from the fields, bringing them into the sheds, this was usually done on foot, usually with a, a piece of, uh, carrying a stick, made out of a piece of plastic water pipe um, to be able to wave around at the, uh, at the cattle. And one day, I remember, I was, I was still at primary school, so probably about nine or ten years old, about the age my son is now, actually. And I had a friend with me, uh, Jay, uh, a guy called James from school. But Dad needed some help to, uh, to move some cattle into a shed, so we both went out to help him. We walked up from the farm, up up across the fields, and Dad went to the top of the field, and he opened a gate up at the top. And myself and James were stood probably about 100 meters further down the field to guide the cattle towards the direction of the shed. And as Dad opened the gate, um, about 30 cattle came out of uh, the the top field in a little bit of an excited state, and they charged across the field towards us. at quite some pace, and I kind of, I stood my ground, I waved my stick about, and they were still coming quite fast towards me, maybe a little bit faster than expected, and, and eventually they came to an absolute kind of grinding halt closer to what you are to me now, skidding their hooves into the ground. They then nonchalantly just turned around and headed off in the correct direction towards the sheds, and I looked around to talk to James, and I couldn't see him there beside me, I shouted for him, and I was like, where are you, James? And eventually I saw him, and he was about 20 metres behind me, behind a chest-high electric fence, quivering and uh, scared about the whole situation that was happening. I thought the situation was hilarious, though. Um, but I guess James's reaction to 30 cattle charging across the field towards him, each one taller than him and fully capable of running straight through him without um, breaking stride was, in hindsight, actually a fully reasonable reaction. But I thought it was hilarious. And why? Um, Because despite being a very timid and quiet child, in this particular situation, I didn't feel any fear. So despite what the situation might have looked like, I was doing exactly what my dad had taught me. The cattle didn't always charge quite so fast in this particular way, but I could see my dad across the field looking at me and watching over me, and I had complete confidence that because of his love for me, he would never ask me to do anything that would put me in danger, something that he knew to be unsafe. I was a beloved son, and so I felt safe, and I felt secure, and well able to test myself on life's first adventures within my father's kingdom. The ability to create that space that is safe and secure for a beloved son is is probably shown uh, never more clearly than in the film, Life is Beautiful. This film is set in the late 1930s, early 1940s, during the the end of the Second World War. The principal characters are Guido, a Jewish poet and bookkeeper, and his Italian wife Dora and their son Josui. Towards the end of the war, the Nazi SS come into their village and they arrest Guido and Josui. And then Dora um, voluntarily joins them as they are put into a concentration camp. I'm going to show you a clip now as we join the film as Guido is constructing an alternate reality for Josie within the concentration camp in order to protect him from the horror of the reality of all that's around him. This is a fantastic picture of how Guido is able to give his beloved son a measure of safety and security despite the horror of the environment. Um, It's a beautiful reminder of how God, our Father, is able to construct a place of safety and security for us, despite the adversity of our present circumstances. My children are naturally competitive. I don't know exactly where they get that from. No, I do. Um, But um, being close in age, they try to compete with each other, um, uh, with everything. My son, Jacob, has the advantage of about 18 months in age and therefore um, a size advantage. My daughter, Maya, has just sheer persistence and steely determination, so it is usually very close. And they often compete over our attention. In particular, Jacob always wants you to himself. I was on a car journey to swimming, actually on the way back from swimming a few weeks ago, and uh, they were trying to compete over which one of them was my favorite. They eventually came to the conclusion, as they couldn't get the answer that they were looking for from me, that whichever of them's car door I opened first was going to conclude that 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 I was their favorite. Fortunately, I have electronic car locks on my car, so as I parked the car, I just released the doors, walked in the house and let them get out by themselves. The answer that I had been giving them whilst they were in the car, and the one that they didn't want to hear, was that they were both my favourite. And this is the truth. There is nothing that could happen for me to love Jacob anymore, for me to desire the best for Jacob anymore, or to enjoy and look, tar- look forward to spending time with him anymore. So therefore, he must be my favourite. But exactly the same is true for Maya. So she must be my favorite also. Our Father God needs us to know how special and loved we are, how special and loved you are. He needs you to be able to feel the safety and security in him that understanding that love gives you. You need to understand that the that you are the one sheep that the shepherd will leave behind all the others to find and bring back to him. You are so special to him. You are the beloved son. You are his favourite. In the same way that me, with all my human inadequacies, can favour both my children, God, who is unconstrained by space, and time, and has infinite power, can easily, simultaneously favor all of his children without belittling in any way the volume of that love. He does not have a bucket of love which he has to share out evenly across us all. God is love, and you have it all. You are his favorite, his beloved son. Somebody who truly understood and lived in the reality of being the beloved son was the Apostle John. John was the author of the Gospel of John and the letters of John and Revelation. John, who was the brother of James, and they were named the Sons of Thunder, uh, probably because of their emotional outbursts when angry. And John was probably one of the youngest of uh, Jesus' disciples, but took a place of prominence in a number of key situations in Jesus' life and ministry. And John doesn't refer to himself by name within his gospel, within the gospel of John. Instead, he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved, or just the beloved disciple. He uses this reference to him at least five times throughout the gospel. So has he been arrogant in describing himself this way? Was he placing himself higher than all the other disciples who were Surely also love. That's not the case. John just had this fantastic personal understanding that he was loved. He understood the importance of this being loved. And he just wanted to express that through his testimony. It wasn't a point of comparison. We see that later in his letters that he wrote, that he refers to his entire audience as the Beloved. Comparison is one of the most vicious weapons of the enemy. It robs us of self-worth and stops us from understanding our true position as God's favorite sons. In the clips that Rich showed yesterday in the, uh, of the shack, we saw Mac being told by Papa that he was especially fond of him then towards the end, in one of the final clips, Mac asks Papa, are you especially fond of everyone? And the answer, of course, was yes. There was nobody that I have not found that I am not especially fond of. God wants you to feel all that love, that being the favorite, what a favorite son brings, without any of the burden that it is placing you differently or above anybody else. It's a picture of love that the Father has for you. I want to return now to the film Life is Beautiful. We've now moved on and uh, 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 Guido has continued this pretense of the game throughout uh, their situation in the concentration camp. But it's now getting particularly tense. The Nazis are going around uh, rounding people up and uh, Guido is trying to hide his son to stop him being rounded up. And he's serving himself as a a distraction to keep his son from being found. What a beautiful uh, picture of the father giving the ultimate sacrifice for, for his son, showing the ultimate amount of love, just in the same way as obviously our father gave his son, our spiritual father gave his son for us as well. Being beloved is not just about feeling loved. It's not just a cuddle to make you feel better. It's a position of safety and security for which you can live the rest of your life. I mentioned earlier that my early experiences I had with my own father gave me an ideal example of what it is to be a beloved son. But unfortunately, the rest of my life was never quite so kind. And in particular, I had a very difficult transition into secondary school. Um, And some particularly nasty episodes of bullying undid a great deal of good that I found from that that initial foundation. Had a number of different effects. The bullying caused me to cry. And crying was such a great cause of amusement to my bullies that to protect myself from further insults, I committed to not cry again. And that was a commitment I kept to myself, I kept for nearly 20 years, up until actually my niece's funeral some 10 years ago, and I've probably only cried a handful of times since then. And my response was also to become self-sufficient and highly competent in everything that I chose to do so that I could not be made fun of. And this journey of self-sufficiency was relying on myself, not just over other people, but also over God. The concept that God loved me made logical sense to me, but I didn't allow the consequences of that to become a reality in my life. I locked him out emotionally and didn't trust him to support me and to keep me safe. And self-sufficiency worked really quite well for me for many years had a successful career, married my childhood sweetheart, started a family of my own. But keeping that facade of self-competence took its toll on me and introduced a significant amount of stress, especially when my self-competence was put under pressure. I think potentially it was the introduction of my children into the mix was the final factor that uh, broke my self-sufficiency. And about that time I spiralled down into a period of depression and complete destruction of my self-confidence. With the support of those around me, I built myself back up again, but only to fall back into that in a pattern which lasted about every two or three years with a repeat of that same episode of depression looking at that pattern, I've been overdue another episode for the, in some time in the last year. And a particularly stressful situation um, earlier this year threatened to tip me down into that cycle. But I didn't go there. And I didn't break down into that same place of depression. So I was trying to diagnose why? And I guess the, friend, the words of my friend Chris, who sat there on the front row, came to mind. We used to work together, and whenever we were trying to diagnose a fault, he always um, would repeatedly ask the question, what has changed? If we can find out what's changed, we can understand why. And the one thing that's changed in my life, I think, over the last four or five years, and has helped me to break out of that cycle, is the acceptance of the love of my Father God. Allowing myself to feel loved by him and to receive that safety and that protection that living in that love really means. Understanding what it truly means to love and be loved as the beloved son. I think I'm only just starting to enter that journey, but I'm also starting to um, live with the, with the benefits and the consequences of re-accepting that love. Earlier this year, I was introduced to an album by somebody in my friend's church, and it has really touched me as it beautifully describes some of this journey, so this journey of receiving the love of God that I've been on. And as we close, I want to play you a key song from the album. It's called Father's House. It's a beautiful picture of the situation of being a beloved son. So I'm going to play this song through to you now, and then I'm going to invite you to go directly into um, the Ministry of Silence afterwards. Um, You're going to have half an hour of Ministry of Silence. We'll then sound the horn after that half an hour, which will be at um, about... Yeah... 11.35, 11.35, about half past 11. Right, right over there is yeah, and Rich will drive a bit further to try and uh, help you to be able to hear his horn. And, uh, uh, and then can you come directly back into here um, after the ministry of silence? We're going to have a time of worship in here um, before lunch. So uh, I'm going to play the song to you now. But please pay particular attention to the final verse, um, which particularly t- touches me. It says, come, let him wash you. Until you are clean, come have a seat, have all you can eat. Notice your picture up there on the wall. Notice no mention of your wrongs at all. Watch as he clears up the mess that we made. Laugh as the feelings of sadness will fade. See how he kneels down beside you to pray, asking the Father to make sure you'll stay. You belong in the Father's house.